progress, not perfection. Today's guest is Jill. I've known Jill for a few years. Um, we used to go to a lot of meetings together, especially like makeshift meetings in a front yard in Venice, get tattoos together in that front yard. Um, so I didn't know much of her story um, because when you're at that point of sobriety, you're just like talking about that day. You're not, you know, getting into all that, you know, the backstory. So it was really good to sit down with her for a while and talk and get the story. So I hope you actually, uh, I hope you enjoy as much as I enjoy talking to her. And thanks again for all the support. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, rate, whatever app you're on. It's going to help with their algorithm. Thanks again. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast, Joe. So Thank awesome you, Jamie. I haven't seen you. I did, I, did I see you when I got my one year chip? Yes, at, I was at, at the yard. Yeah, that's right. It was at the yard over at um in Santa Monica, right? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, at Jules's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of something. Oh, I was also at the first place I got a chip was at the um. Where's that park at that ha- that um, is kind of down the street around her? And I think it's in Venice. Yeah. It's uh, like a park on a hill. The Dodge Park, uh, Westminster it, Park. Yeah, and it's like a little tiny rec center inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's where I got a, my first one-year chip, I think, for AA. And um, she was secretary, I think, or she was hosting or something. And because she didn't, they didn't have any chips. The first place I go to for a chip, and they didn't have any. So she pulled one out of her pocket, and I still have it. It has a six 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 that she inscribed. <laughs> on Perfect. The yeah, and I think later that night I ended up at um, the NA meeting over on Kensington. Um, what's the name of that uh, park over there? That that's a really big one um, for NA. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm always blanking on this damn Jocelyn name. Jocelyn Park. Jocelyn Park. Yeah, that's a huge, they, that was a huge meeting. Like, I remember I was there like in May, and they're like, "Yeah, we have rent paid for the year," and I'm like, "Damn!" Like, and you know, the basket's still going around. Like, Jocelyn Park, right. they have a lot of strong recovery there. They get the motorcycle gangs that are all in recovery groups now, like that are coming Absolutely. in there. Um, but yeah, I mostly know you from the yard. Which anyone else that doesn't know, the yard is a friend of ours that would host meetings in her front yard in Venice and yeah. get tattoos. And sometimes her and I, well, you you didn't have, you were like me, right? We were both bare armed when I knew you three years ago. Um, I, I had, yeah, I started my ink journey. Um, I had one tattoo from years ago, but um, when I graduated yoga teacher training, and mm-hmm. by the way, do you know how you can tell if somebody's a yoga teacher? Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. And I've just been getting blasted since then. Jules uh, did Jules 62. I was there. I was there for that one. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think we both got something that day. I think I was getting Carpe Diem or I was getting like my S. Yeah. Or something like that, but it was definitely like a middle of a day type of thing. We were just hanging out. It wasn't even a meeting day. I think we were all just hanging out, and she was sketching, and we were like, we want this. And like you're like, I want this. And then we just made it a tattoo party that day. That's what Absolutely. I mean. Like, I remember you and I didn't have much. Like, I had one when I got sober, and then I came back from rehab, and I had like 17. And it was yeah. <laughs> And they were all in my go. Yeah, just do it. Well, what's your, what's your sober date? Uh... 
December 10, 2018, but I've been doing this for a minute. Okay, um, yes. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that was 2018. Wait a minute. I, I met you. Did you have a relapse after we met? Okay. Because, yeah, it was, we, it, was a, <laughs> it was a good relapse. Like, the older I get, the quicker I go to ketosis. So, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it was funny is I know somebody else who relapsed and he's 41. He was 41 when he relapsed from meth. And he, you know, he was my sober living manager. And he said, as soon as I shot it, I went into instant psychosis. And like, and then he was in rehab again two days later. <laughs> what sober living were you at? Uh, I was over at Muse for a little oh, bit. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, in yeah. Culver City, but I was in high sobriety. High sobriety is the sober living that I was in where they let you use cannabis through your recovery. They hook you up with like a cannabis doctor. I completely changed my relationship with cannabis. I don't right. ever like I don't even smoke it, to be honest with you. I don't smoke, you know, weed. I use the little in ingestible pills because we don't have edibles in PA and I microdose. You know, when I take my blood pressure medicine, I also take that. And when I go at nighttime, I take double because that helps me sleep at night and stay asleep. Or else I'll get an hour or two because I've had insomnia since I was, like, eight. So, like, that helps me go to sleep and stay asleep. But, like, you wouldn't know that I use cannabis if I wasn't so forthcoming about it. Like, because I'm, I'm never, like, <laughs> because, like, I'm never actually high, you know. Like, it's in my system. But, like, anybody else that uses meds, like Lexapro, you know, it's like, you know, anybody else that's using meds, it's in your system and it's working what it does. Yeah. So let me let's start from the beginning. When did you start? Your meth was your drug of choice, right? No. No. Okay. Start I mean, from the beginning for me I, then. Well, because I don't know your story. Uh, I actually yeah, yeah, don't yeah. know your this story. It's gonna be fun. This yeah. Be fun. And I like to tell my story the way I tell my story. It's not linear. Like I don't start. Oh, when I was four, I did it. You um, do a Tarantino style and hop all around back and forth. Yeah, which actually, um, you know, when people say, oh, my God, that that chair didn't make any sense. I hop, I, you know, I was all over the place. Well, that's how that's that, that's how yeah. my brain works. And if you're telling me a story and it's all over the place, I got you. I got yeah. you. So I normally start off when when I first came into the rooms, I first came into the rooms uh, May 2003. That was uh, 18 years ago. I came into the yeah. rooms of Cocaine Anonymous, and um, I was 35 at the time. I'll do the math for you. I'm 54 now. What? I know what you're thinking. How's that even possible? Wait, was that in L.A.? Are you L.A., born and raised? Yeah, born okay. and raised in L.A. Actually, okay. that, I came in. It was uh, down in South Orange County. And, oh, okay. Um, and uh, I had... Yeah, so so you're 40 you're 35, which is my age now. Yeah. You're, just to do the math. You're 35 and you walk into a CA meeting for the first time. First time. After fresh off a 9-day psych ward stay. Fresh off. Was this a recommendation by somebody in the psych ward? Is that why you went to CA? Like what what, what yeah, was yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was this old guy Joe um who I'll I'll um foreshadow for you. In, in future psychosis sees like 15 years down the road, guess who's still working there? Joe. No shit. No shit. <laughs> so, I remember in 03 when I, when I was there, like I, 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 uh, I was admitted for cocaine induced psychosis, opiate dependence. Um, 
opiate addiction, uh, and an array of other um, personality features. Um, and in the psych ward, Jared would would be all, oh, you got a sponsor. What are you talking about? I mean, I didn't even know what the program was. And it's a lockdown psych ward. Like, Joe, what are you talking about? So, well, you need to get a, meet, a meeting. I'm like, as soon as I'm free, I'll be more than happy to check out a meeting. Anyway, I got out. As a matter of fact, um, this hospital was in Laguna Beach. It overlooked the, the, the ocean. And I remember the day I got out of the hospital. And I walked through the Rose Garden. The Rose Garden overlooked the ocean. And I had been living in Dana Point for, at that time, about eight, nine years, nine years or so. And I had never smelled the ocean. Opiates, opiates just, you know, deadened everything. My sense of smell, my... Were you sniffing? Were you a snorter? Uh, no, these were, these were painkillers. Okay. And, uh, uh, because, you know, uh, nothing else matched the rigor of quality assurance as the part of pharmaceutical company. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. And anyway, so I walked through that rose garden and, and for the first time smelled the ocean. And to this day, when I smell the ocean, it just like brings me back to that place in time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I, I show up back at the hospital and it was much like that Jocelyn Park meeting where there's like 80 plus people. And I walked in there and as is so often the case, you hear about people in their first meeting and, and, and everybody is uh, everybody at the meeting is is uh, happy and, and and know each other and hugging and beautiful. And and that was the case here. And I, I sat down and I listened. And that very first meeting, I heard the message. You know, I heard the message of uh, recovery that we get a sponsor. We work some steps. Um, uh, we're of service. And uh, the unity of the program, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. So okay. the smoke break, I got a, I got a uh, sponsor, and uh, they took me home, and they they asked me three questions. Uh, is this a smoking meeting, by the way? You can smoke. <laughs> I can't, but you can. Just I don't, not. I don't, I don't vape. So, and I smoke cigarettes, and I can't smoke in my building. I got fire alarms right above me. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. And. Yeah, it would be like Mad Men in here real fast that I could smoke in here. Like, I would be smoking <laughs> three bags a day with ashtrays just filling up all day. Be like, who wants to Skype with me now? Right, right. <laughs> so, so they took me home and, and asked me three questions. One was, do you want to be sober? And, you know, I asked these three questions of myself frequently. And, you know, today the answer's yes, I want to be sober. And that day it was, yes, I want to be sober. And I can tell you, JD, it hasn't always been the case. And uh, the second question was, uh, are you willing to go to any lengths? had no idea what was really meant by that, but I'm like, yeah, I came to this meeting, didn't I? And, <laughs> and the third thing was, um, are you willing to believe? Didn't say what, didn't say uh, how, but just are you willing believe. to believe? Yeah. yeah, and that was that was enough to make a humble start, you know. Um, my life looked a lot different then. Um, were you were you Jill? No, 
Okay. No. So I don't no. I don't know when. So yeah. can you? T- okay. Yeah. yeah it's, Who were you well, then? Yeah. Well. Uh, Who was your name? Uh, it was Birth Jeff. Name. My dad. Jeff. Yeah. That's, yeah. Dead name. Uh, that's what you call it. Dead name. Exactly. Um. And I was married. Um. Two daughters. Today they're 31 and 28. And uh, had a house and had two cars and three dogs and you were you doing know, what you were supposed to do yeah 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 i was an executive for a software company big tech firm and uh and i was living the dream and the problem became i realized that it wasn't my dream i was gonna say it was i was literally in my head like yeah but it's someone else's dream right exactly and it's so often the case um Mm, you know, we we come out of the womb, we're given a name, uh, you know, we're told to be a good student or a good boy or a good girl, and this is what that looks like, and you are going to go to school, and when you finish school, you're going to get a job, and this is what you're, you know, I don't ever remember signing up for this shit. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, so at, 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 at 35, um, yeah, I, I was making well into six figures and um i just i just had a problem with cocaine and uh well actually opiates i had gotten in a terrible car accident in 96 and my dad had passed away i had a sudden massive stroke in 99 and i start to become uh, depressed oxycontin yeah they were handing that out like it was fucking candy in the late 90s it was pez yeah Oh, you need more? Here, here. You need more? Here, here. Oh, you ran out? Here, you're going to need more. Don't worry, it's not addictive because FDA said, did you watch that? Did you watch that documentary, The Biggest Lie Ever Told or whatever? Like, like, yeah, Yeah. like them literally lying to say it wasn't addictive. Like, and then look, look at us now. In all fairness to doctors and the medical industry, it's like, I knew it was fucking. Yeah addictive i knew it was opiates i knew very i mean i had known i was an addict from very early on i was gonna i always ask that question when did you went in the because you started getting a script then in 96 so how far into you using them as a script of medicine did you say oh wait i'm addicted to this Uh, the first day. <laughs> oh, really? I, I mean, so prior to that, um, growing up, I had an older brother and older sister, and my brother smoked me out when I was like 12, and um, uh, my best friend at 15, Jack Benton, uh, turned me on to cocaine, and this was 1982 in Los Angeles. We were knee fucking deep in snow. Uh, <laughs> like we wore snowshoes to the school. You were you were sniffing George Jung's coke back in the in 82. That was straight from Columbia, straight from George Jung. Absolutely. And you know what? Growing up in LA is is what was so cool about that time was um, we'd go get high and uh, uh, go check out shows. And yeah. what's cool about like um 80s music being old school and like you got a real og in in the house and uh what i loved about la was that any band 
who was going to make it or has made it has been through L.A. And, yep. um saw some of the most incredible shows. Um, yeah, they, they all hung out, what, in the, um, the valley and the hills. That's right. All the musicians and, and the – like, did you ever see Echo in the Valley, that documentary on Netflix? Yeah. It's all, was, all about that. I was born and raised in the valley. And, so, yeah. wait, uh, one of my favorite comedians um, is, uh, does a podcast called Your Mom's House, um, Christina Pajitsky. And she she's from the valley, and she always says 818 till I die. Like, that's, like, one of her phrases is 818 till I die. And they just moved to Austin's. That's where all the comics are moving nowadays. But, yeah, she's always, like, a valley girl, and she's, like, the same age and, like, all that kind of shit. So. Well, the term the term valley girl was coined by Moon Unit Zappa, um, who I went to high school with. And she wrote the song Valley Girl, which became a, a, a one-hit wonder. Mm-hmm. And I would go to her house to party, and... I, I didn't realize who Frank Zappa was at the time. I mean, it was Frank, Moon's daughter. I mean, Moon's dad. Yeah. And uh, um, my other claim to fame in high school was um, my 11th grade homecoming dance date was Lisa Bonet. No shit. Yeah. So we were we were really good friends. We went to homecoming dance and then summer of 11th grade she went back east to new york to audition for this new show that bill cosby i know uh that bill bill cosby was putting on and she was then on the number one hit show for 11 years gets her own spinoff marries some guy lenny kravitz oh that guy yeah yeah that guy (laughs) and i'm still here waiting by the phone you know (laughs) where are you lisa i'm jewish too you know yeah (laughs) yeah but anyway and in, in high school, it was pills. It was uh, uh, crank speed back then, and and um, mm. you guys had the motorcycle meth out in L.A. back then. That's why it was crank, right? That's what you yes. guys, yeah, yeah. And even painkillers. Uh, uh, well before uh, oxy, but I mean painkillers existed. Yeah, yeah, and and um. And, and started doing a lot of coke. I got married very young. Very young. Well, yeah, um, if you have daughter, I mean, if your daughter is 24, you were 24 when you had your first daughter. No, my. Right, 23. I'm 22. 20, okay. My girls are 31 and 20. Oh, and then you're fifth. Okay, that, okay, that makes sense. Yep, but and your turn, yeah. Good job on the math. I was close. Uh, but yeah, that's young. That's like, that's what my parents, my parents got married at 22 and had me at 23. Yeah. You know, my brother at 26, you know, so they had two kids by the time they were 26 years old. So I'm sure like my dad would be, be relating to you because, you know, he'd be like, oh, yeah, like that's when I was doing that. That's when I did that. Like, yeah, he had the job. Yeah, but, you know, he, you know. he never, he never made it to the rooms, though. He's not he's nowhere near. He's not like me or you. He is not an addict or an alcoholic. So the closest he got to AA is when I came back from California and I was going to meetings. He drove me to the first Aww. like week of meetings to like <laughs> make sure I was doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know, who knows what was going to happen when I come back from rehab for the first time. That was right. my first and only rehab stint. Good. So yeah. Yep. Okay. So now, now you're graduating high school, right? You're right. into like right. a lot of things and it's, yeah. you know, the late eighties or whatever. Yeah, now let me go back to that uh, first sobriety back in 03. Yeah. Um, 
so I started working a program and started being of service. CA, I love. They put you in service before you know what's going on. Um, and uh, my first meeting in LA was a CA meeting, the one on Sepulveda at that church. It's a big one. Like it's like a hundred people there. Yes, that was at, my first uh, ever meeting. Um, I forget that it's at the next to the YMCA. Yeah, Culver Palms. Yeah, that's it. Yep. But that was my first. I would go from there, and then I would leave 15 minutes early to Uber to Jules's house in Venice. But I would always go there for the first 45 yeah. minutes every Saturday, and then leave an Uber straight over to Jules's because I wanted to go to that meeting because it meant so much to me since it was like my first like meeting meeting. You know, there's a lot of AA that you know. Um, they say wear AA like a loose garment, which if you know me, that's the only garment I'm wearing loose, like for real. And um, but there's a lot of stuff that's said in the room that um, I personally chosen to, to, for example, you're as sick as your secrets, you know? Ugh. Number one, don't shame me because I have a secret. And number two, don't pathologize me. Don't call me sick because I have a secret. I believe I'm as sick as I am secretive, right? Yeah. Like if I'm hopping on this uh, Skype with you and, you know, oh, hang on. Let me go take a hit of meth and coming back and, you know, just being secretive. And it doesn't need to be with using it. to be with anything. Um, that's where my addiction likes to hide, right, is in that secrecy. But... And I remember working my first fourth step, my first fifth step, and I I had the secret. And it was really good. I wasn't going to, I mean, my ex-wife didn't know. She was my wife at the time. She uh, wasn't going to tell God. Like, I was going to take this to the gray. And, and the fact of the matter is, I'm transgender, spoiler alert. And uh, And I'm in this men's fellowship which was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, this was well before there was any trans awareness or, or you know. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't feel this was the place for me to, hey, hey, I'm Jill. But looking back, really the rooms are the safest place to um be authentic in my experience. Yep, I agree. So, but having the secret, I mean, I had it as long as I, as long as I could remember. Um, I remember being like five, six years old, asking my mom, had I been born a girl, what would she name me? And uh, the answer was Jill. And um, it's, I lost my mom in 05. Uh, to brain cancer, and 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 my name is uh, my chosen name is just an homage to my mom. That's awesome. And yeah, so I, I did uh, she did she ever see you as Joe? No, no, ah, no. Well, at least you get to use the name, and you knew the name from when you were a kid. You know all that. Absolutely. Although I tell you, I went to um, an eighth grade Halloween dance. This is 1980. Wearing my sister's senior cheerleading uniform, <laughs> and and I have a picture handy if I could. Yeah, if you, this in this picture, I'm like this and with this 
big grin on my face. And, you know, the next time I, I didn't have a picture of that girl for another 30 years. And, yeah. And uh, so, like, by the, I, I, I knew that something was different. And, you know, junior high school, I started to, like, you know, puberty hits, and that's that's always a hoot. Um, but in, and then in high school, um, you know, I, I just knew I didn't have any language around. I didn't have a name for it, but, and that's why I've always used drugs to, you know, regulate my nervous system. Yeah. And, um, so around that age, this is where I'm going to bury this thing so deep, never going to see the light of day. And um, pretty much used drugs throughout high school. Um, was primarily smoking pot and uh, doing pills during the week and, and cocaine and like a weekend. responsible high school girl, yeah, Absolutely. guy, <laughs> like <laughs> guy at the, the time. Yeah, um, you were in there. You were in there. That's right. And I had, had uh, met my wife right. When I was 19, and we started doing a lot of cocaine together, and she had gotten pregnant. And I remember her saying, "You know, now we have to, we have to be responsible. We need to put away the drugs." And I'm like, "Okay." And so I drank. You know, I drank, um, and and very often alcoholically. But I still held down a job. I still was responsible. Still was a father. Still was. I don't know why I'm air quoting. I'll always be my daughter's father. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how I felt, I, I I couldn't even access that. That was stuff so far down. Like, like we're not going to go there. Um, and, and drugs just kept me disconnected from, from who I, who I am. So, You know, that that set set things in place where okay, this is my existence. Wake up, go to work, work all day. I was traveling for work extensively, and um, I get in this car accident. And, and and you asked when I became an addict. I remember in the accident, I got hit from behind. Uh, I was on a freeway off ramp. Uh, car hits me. And I go up the embankment, and uh, the windshield shattered, and I had put my hand up, and there's glass embedded, and and I'm in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get morphine. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty sure that's not. That's not what most people think yeah, of when they're no, in the back of an ambulance no. after an accident like that. Right. So I very quickly went through. The, the phases of uh, with, with, with opiates in terms of, um, you know, developing the tolerance and the dependence and then abuse. And the beautiful thing back then was the traveling for business when I ran out, because it didn't matter how many pills were in the freaking bottle. I can never make them last 30 days. No, no, no. That's what, that and that's technically why you could fill your script every 28 days. I know. And Some, so, so I'm traveling, and if I 
ran short, I'd just walk into an emergency room. And this was back before everything was uh, electronic and, and there were controls on this shit. And I'd get hit with a couple, you know, shots of uh, dilated and back to work I'd go. My dad literally um, had a massive stroke in 99. And by coincidence, I happened to be the last person um, to talk with him and, and be with him. Um, I had to be at a client on a Monday morning. And I'm living in South Orange County. And this client was up in L.A. I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive up the Sunday night before so I don't need to deal with traffic. I bet you miss L.A. traffic around here. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere right now. I have never. People complain about traffic around here, and I laugh because like, you have <laughs> between you Philly and L.A. Life. I lived in Boston. It's nothing compared to, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I don't miss it. So uh, I dropped in on my parents. I would always call, hey, mom, dad, you home? Can I stop by? But this time I, I just dropped in, and I wound up having this couple hour conversation with my dad and and uh next morning my mom calls at 8 30 i'm not my client and she's hysterical and she had found my dad um, on the on the kitchen floor he'd had a massive stroke and five days later we took him off uh, life support and i started becoming depressed you know having stuffed feelings for so long and then having um I did what any re reasonable addict would do. I knew that alcohol and opiates were central nervous system depressants. Modern problems require modern solutions. You just need a little cocaine in that mix. Yep. <laughs> no, fix so every I remember the first time I brought coke back into the house and my wife was like, we agreed never to bring that shit back in the house. I'm like, this is what an asshole. I, I'm pretty sure you agreed to that. I I was just agreeing with you. And you know what? Using in my 30s was different than using in my 20s or my teens. It looked a lot less social. Um, it looked like me getting a bag of blow and uh, locking myself in the bedroom on a Friday night and coming out Monday morning for work. And um, eventually... What that looked like was, um, okay, well, I'll take Friday afternoon off and then Monday morning off. And then I'm taking Thursday off and I'm just showing up um, as cameo appearances for work. And, and looking back, you know, I used to wonder, I was working in an office of 200 people. I wonder why nobody sat me down and said, are you okay? What kind of cancer do you have? I mean, I I became completely gaunt. And, yeah. Uh, um, and maybe maybe people did know and just didn't know what to say. Regardless. It, it, I think it, people it, said a lot less back then, too. You know what I mean? Like, especially like there was there like there's stigmas today still, but there were like stigmas, stigmas, stigmas back then. So, absolutely. you know, you you didn't like. You, I was in high school then, but still, like, I know, like, you didn't just say to somebody you worked with, because I was working then, like, are you feeling okay? They'd be like, fuck off, bro. Don't ask me what I'm feeling. How's your heart space today? Yeah, ex exactly. Like, especially, like, you know, like, back then, like, you were Jeff, 
So, like, you being like, hey, somebody's saying to you as Jeff and not as Jill, hey, or how are you feeling today? You don't, you wouldn't go to another guy. You still, I talked about this in another episode, like, guys and emotions is such a still a stigma. You know what I mean? Like, it, it really is. And, you know, remember when Will Smith and, like, and had that sit down and, like, then he got mean for crying. You know what I mean? He's he's showing his emotions and then he just gets mean to make fun of. You know, so it's here's how I started the 2010s. Send me that. I will. Yeah. So, um, and that cycle just continued. You know, I was uh, somehow holding shit together, and I found that opiates and cocaine were the perfect yin and yang. You know, and 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 um. The word functional is interesting because the last car I had, uh, which I wound up living in for nine, ten months, um, and it was a Honda. It was a Honda Accord. Four-door. Thank God it had tinted windows. But um, I remember I I was just beginning to live in my car. It was the first couple of weeks I was living in my car, and I got in an accident. Fender, bender. Literally, dude took my fender off. And I'm that's like taking somebody's front wall of their home off, you know? Yeah. Yep. And anyway, the car worked fine. It just didn't have a fender. And I would refer, you know, the car's functional. Nobody would want it. <laughs> Wouldn't even want to be seen in it. It was yeah. functional. Um, but yeah, I was able to, uh, you know, get away with murder. That's a figure of speech for those TikTok uh, 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 moderators. Yeah. <laughs> um, and those those lines in that moral sandbox, right? Like, I will never, will never, whatever. I always had those. You know, I was a nice Jewish boy from the valley. You know, I had a bar mitzvah. Um. And, uh, you know, I discriminating type case. It was so taking it back right after my dad died. And, and so there were about four years of had this psychotic break, went into the psych ward, and thus began my recovery journey. And was doing CA, but primarily that was in the Modalist Men's Fellowship. And just because you get sober doesn't mean life is going to be better. Yeah. Uh, the that's another thing you hear, I hear, is that, oh, it's going to be okay. You know what, J.D.? That has not been my experience. Um, just hasn't. In 05, my mom uh, developed brain cancer, and I moved back to my childhood home, took care of her for her la- the last six months of her life, and, uh, you know, don't tell me it's going to be okay. Were you um, separated from your wife at that point? Nope. Okay, so you just said, I need to go do this, and she understood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... You could probably get away with doing things a lot more when you were at your mom's, too, because she was sick, and your wife wasn't around to kind of moderate. Well, I was sober at the time. I, oh, you were sober? Yeah, this was okay. in my second year of sobriety. Um, went to go be 
the caretaker for my mom. And the beautiful thing before she had brain surgery was I got to make amends to her. That's good. Yeah. She got to see you. Very, absolutely. Very powerful. And uh, I was surprised because she had, um, you know, Actique, you know, the, 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 the fentanyl lollipops and, uh, yeah. And didn't touch it. And what was cool about the fellowship, the unity in the program, which has never let me down when I lean into it, is that when she died, there were like 40 program people who showed up and helped me, you know, bury my mom. That's awesome. Um, yeah, life continued to show up after that. Um, got fired from that job I had. It turns out that I was really good fucked up at least for my job. And then when I got sober, I literally couldn't function. I, I just burp, burp. Uh, um, and then uh, I lost my house. Don't know where I put it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the bank knew. The bank yeah. knew exactly where the house And was. how much you needed to still put onto it. <laughs> Down to the penny. Absolutely. And this is about 07, 08, right when that. Which is, yep. You were probably stuck in some kind of adjustable rate that was going to fuck you anyway, and then you lost your job, and then, yep. Yes. And then, yeah. And I'm so grateful that the financial institutions got bailed out, and I just got fucked. (laughs) Don't tell me it's going to be okay, JD. You know, Mm -hmm. oh, just keep coming back. It's going to be okay. That hasn't been my experience. This ain't no family afterwards here. You know, this isn't to the employer. Like, that yeah. is not my story. So my my wife takes one of the cars, one of the dogs, and moves to Orlando, Florida. Now, with all due respect to all of your listeners in, in Florida, who moves from L.A. to Florida, like Orlando, Florida? And she leaves me with her two teenage daughters. I was going to say, wait, is she left with both? Just one of the dogs out of the two dogs? Yes. There was two dogs, and she said, I'm taking the one dog I like the most, and then you can take care of the girls and the other dog, and I'm out. Yes. Okay. Teenage girls are a force of nature that should not ever be reckoned with. I mean, it was really cool. They let me pay... They let me pay rent and, 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 and buy clothes for them and food, and they let me live there. So it was kind of cool. That's nice of them. Um, it turns out that she moved to Orlando because, get ready for this, the, it gets a little Jerry Springer around here. The best man from my wedding, Uncle Danny, she moved in with. Oh. She, do you know Why? Coke? Why? She'd been, fucking, she'd been fucking him the whole time. The entire time? Most Pretty of much. it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were married 17 years. Yeah. Are they still together? No, they gave a good run at it. And, uh, I was going to say, you can almost justify it. You know what I mean? You can almost yeah, like yeah, justify it if they were still together to this day. It's like, well, you know, they were kind of meant to be. They, you know, they've been lasting this long through the ups and downs. They moved across country to get, you know. <laughs> Who am I to stand in the way of uh, love? Love, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to 
hold down a job. Uh, I was renting a house at the time. And, you know, the, the, the harder I was uh, grasping for things, the, the, it's like, um, you know, when you're in water, the, the way to float is to surrender. Yeah. But I was clinging on to everything and, and just like nails down the, <clears throat> and uh, got evicted from that rental house. As a matter of fact, my car, I had a Lexus sports coupe at the time. And uh, the morning it got repossessed, I called the cops. And apparently they get um, information from, from the banks as to what cars are going to be repossessed. So I called the cops and they're like, um, no, you might want to call your bank. I'm like, I haven't paid them in months. Why would I want to call them? <laughs> so anyway, I, 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 uh, yeah, don't tell me it's going to be okay. Please. <laughs> uh, um, wound up filing bankruptcy shortly thereafter. I was renting an apartment. So now you got like five years sobriety, right? If I'm doing the math yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Five ish. Mm-hmm. And soberish, rather, because first of all, um, I don't believe in outside issues in as far as mental health care. Uh, um, if I don't treat my mental health, I mean, that is my, my addiction. Is such a <laughs> managing my addiction is such a integral part of my uh, mental health. Anyway, I had I, I was seeing um, a doctor, and I've been put on. Uh, an array of antidepressants and um, also started to introduce stimulants like, you know, a little Adderall as an uh, adjunct. To, I was going to guess Adderall first. Yeah. To help with antidepressants. And, you know, I was taking it as prescribed. Um, and that prescription also included, you know, I need a little something to nod off at night. So that included Ambien and, and Xanax. And here I am accruing years of sobriety, and I'm more fucked up than I've ever been. Yeah. But, but I'm telling you, yeah. Yeah, but you're taking it as prescribed so you can justify. But no, 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 no. But you, oh, okay. That's what I mean. Yeah. When does, how long before it pushed it, like, or were you pushing it on purpose? Like going to a doctor and giving them the out, like you were. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm an addict. Yeah. Um, so, um, my older daughter had moved out and it was just me and my younger one. And, uh, I, I, I was taking birthday cakes. I was sponsoring people. I had buried sponsees and, you know, if you're going to do this program, right, you buy it better buy something to wear for, memorials yeah. because this shit is as much as I like to laugh this is serious shit you know that um so my younger one who got sober at 15 and she's 28 and she's coming up on 14 years in the program <laughs> didn't get that from me um she she calls my sponsor and the two of them stage an intervention and at this time I'm snorting 
these, you know, pink Adderalls, the cotton candy Adderalls, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm chewing them like Bazooka Joe's here. Yeah. And, and, uh, her and my sponsor come into the apartment and what are you talking about? Me? Abusing Adderall? I've got it crusted up in my nostrils. I'm like, I don't know what exactly you think is going on, but it's you like, want to check yourself. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And mind you, I had been very good at at at, at being able to take secrets and, and just bury it so that mm-hmm. it's not part of my consciousness. Yeah. You know, sorry it affects you. Um, sorry if it affects your perception of my sobriety. Yep. So, um, about this time, the internet had started to emerge, and and I was always researching stuff, and that's what I liked about the the, the internet on the early aughts. It's like all this yeah. access to academia or clinical information, whatever drug information, and. I'm like, transgender? What? There's a name for this? What? There's other people like this? What? There's protocols for the treatment of transgendered individuals? And the, 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 the problem that that presented was, you know, once you become aware of something, once your consciousness expands to become aware it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like, oh, now there was like this this impetus for now. Now what the fuck am I gonna do? And I like my comfort zone, JD. I don't know about you, but I get real comfy in my comfort zone. Yep. Like the remote's not in my comfort zone. I got to get up for it. No, I'm good. I yeah. like my comfort zone. And uh, all spiritual growth happens outside my comfort zone. That's why I keep my remote handy right right in my yes. arms like that all. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's been time and time again that unless, like, I'm thrust into making a huge change and it's the last choice possible, then I'll do something. So... Um, my my older one was a senior in high school, and <clears throat> I had been researching, you know, how to come out as transgender to family and friends and colleagues, and and uh, this before the intervention, you were already researching this, this before. A, oh yeah, I was researching this uh, concurrently, like. Like while you were getting high years. by yourself, while you were like, you know, doing Adderall, you were like frantically searching and researching and looking and oh yeah, yeah. okay, absolutely, okay. And, so go and that that right and that created this knowledge like oh my god there 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 there's what and and then continue to deny reality. Um, that's a very uncomfortable place to be in. You know, I found myself becoming absolutely morbidly depressed and um, suicidal. Um, And the last thing I wanted to do was to my men's fellowship is like, hey guys, call me Jill. 
And uh, so I did what any responsible addict would do, and that's I'm going to stop going to meetings. Right? That sounds fair. I'm going to I'm going to stop calling that sponsor who thinks I have a problem with Adderall. What a joke. Don't tell me it's going to be okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> um you know, pulling away from the program and 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 fellowship and helping others it got me very alone. And uh I got evicted from that apartment. Um, my younger daughter moves out, and I start renting rooms off Craigslist, which was about as fun as dating off Craigslist. Anything off Craigslist is about as anything off Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's and, be real. And for those younger listeners, um, Craigslist yeah, is Craigslist. not where you want it to be. No. It's not where you wanted to find yourself. So I wind up renting this room from this this woman, um, which I had two evictions on my uh, uh, credit, a bankruptcy and a repossession. Oh, in addition to an IRS tax lien and wage garnishment. You're just like hitting on all cylinders for a perfect candidate of somebody to rent to. Right. Right. Like, right. So, uh, um, yeah, so I'm running rooms off Craigslist, and this hooks me up, and uh, the very first morning, I, I come out for a smoke, and she's at the kitchen table, and she's she's smoking meth. As we've discussed, I have standards, you know. I was a cocaine addict. I only snorted it, never shot it. And plus, you like Adderall, and you were sniffing that. Yeah. So, once again, responsible addict. I sat down and said, can I have a hit? I only smoked meth once for six fucking years. So, <laughs> so that one hit, that got you. And... How long did she let you live there? Um, I was thrown out maybe six months later. Did you get high with her a bunch of times? Every day. Every day? And her son um, had this trap home down in Escondido, down in San Diego. Mm. And um, have you ever been down to San Diego? When I, when I was living there, but a while ago, yeah. like in 2009, I was there. 2007 well, when, and something like that. Well, when you're coming back from San Diego to L.A., there's a uh, United States border checkpoint in San Onofre. It's 100 miles 100 of the Mexican border. Okay. They've got a border checkpoint. They, they, there's a lot of uh, smuggling. Yeah. I would go down there, and we were scoring like half an ounce of math. And I'm carrying it on my person, high as fuck, driving through a U.S. border checkpoint without, a, you know, it, it. The insanity. The insanity. Um, yeah, we'd go down to that trap home. It was, it was, you know, fresh out of modern trap homes and gardens. Yeah. 
and uh, and uh, I remember. It's not a trap room unless it has like at least three holes in the wall per room. And a great Dane in diapers somewhere in the house. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so you're in this trap home. And uh, nothing good happens there. Nothing good. No. But can't get out. Anyway, she kicked me out over some, you know, and I, I had come out as trans at this time. So here I am navigating the world as, a, as, as hey, it's Jill, and, you know, just fucked up and in some really shady. Uh, How did your daughters take it? Uh, I, I still won't talk to my little one. Okay. And my older one, I've made formal amends to her um, like two years ago. And, you know, maybe once a month we'll exchange texts. So don't tell me it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went from her place to, um, uh, you know, couch surfing. But the problem is, is that when you become a tweaker, most people don't want you on their couches. Yeah, weird how that works, right? So People, people these days. I remember the night, I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to spend the night in the car. And that night turned into like nine months. It it, it was absolute um, insanity. The insanity of my disease is that it tells me I'm gonna be I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. And and you know it got very. Uh, I had a dog, Henry. Henry was the doggy llama, and. Uh, you know, he kept me alive for a long time because I had to keep going. I had to make sure he ate and, yeah. and drank. and Gave you a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I started doing sex work, um, uh, which which a blowjob still is a job. Um, yeah, sex, yeah. Work, sex work is work. Fully support it. Fully support it. I'm here for it. And and I'm a big advocate of sex worker rights, and uh, it's so important that, especially in the trans community, it is uh, such a common narrative to have experienced, you know, addiction, mental health, homelessness, criminal justice. Seventy percent of the youth that are homeless are LGBTQ plus, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I knew what the solution was. I still remembered it from my first meeting. All the time, I wasn't really remembering yeah. much. <laughs> but it never dawned on me. Well, I should just get sober. Go back. And 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 life continued to show up. And, uh, you know, kick me in the teeth. I got arrested. And uh, this was 20, 2015 or so. And uh, um, I spent 27 days men's central jail, Twin Towers downtown. Yeah, because they don't give it. They don't care. They're not going to. You're like, I'm Joe. They're like, no, you're not. They're like. 
you have a penis. I'm like, don't hold it against me. <laughs> no, just kidding. Nothing was funny. Nothing was funny. And and the way I the way that um, you know uh, the police and the sheriff uh, treat you is is below less yeah. than humane. There were a couple coincidences that happened in jail that are unbelievable. Mm. So walking in inmate reception center, there's a hundred guys plus in this space of, you know, this processing space. And um, I felt like the whole space get quiet and every head turned. And Had you like, already changed your name legally? Uh, yeah. Okay, you had already changed your name legally. Okay. Yeah, that, it doesn't matter. No, I know, but I was just curious to be like, hey, I'm Jill, and they're like, is that what it, okay, go on. Yeah, so anyway, um, it took like four days to get classified and assigned housing, and I knew I was fucked because like, I'm being put in temporary housing until they can find permanent housing. I'm like, this is not where I want permanent housing. I want permanent housing on the streets, you know? So I'm in this two-person cell with um, this guy that if I was to judge him from the outside, I'd say is a skinhead, shaved head, prison tats, uh, swastika, and here I am. This nice little Jewish girl. Right, right. But I had watched enough of, you know, lockdown and, and all those prison shows. I didn't have a jail face. Like, this is my jail face, J.D. Yeah. Um, Was your hair that length, too? Yeah, about that length, yeah. Okay, so, okay. So, I didn't say anything to this guy, and I, I had, the food was worse than dog food. It was It was inhumane. But I was giving him my trays, and eventually he starts talking to me. And uh, uh, one of my God-given gifts is the ability to connect with others. And that saved my life in jail. So I asked this guy, um, hey, where'd you grow up? And he's like, I grew up here. I'm like, oh, where, where, where here? And he's like, oh, the valley. I'm like, oh. We're in the valley. And he's like, oh, Encino. I'm like, where did you go to high school? And he said, oh, Birmingham High. I'm like, what year did you graduate? 1985. He was in my graduating class. But it was such a big class that you didn't know. There were 3,500 kids in the, student, in the student body. Um, I graduated 185, and that was like our biggest class ever. Wow. <laughs> And, and he had spent like 25 out of the last 30 years in prison and had to join, you know, the Aryan Brotherhood for survival. So eventually I get housing in what they called the gay pod, which uh, anything other than gen, general population, I'm like, fine. And it just so happened to be um, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, the first weekend I was there. And it was the Super Bowl with Beyonce and Bruno Mars performing at halftime. And and this gay pod, there were 40, 60 people in this, you know, pod that was designed for 20. 
and the gays were just like that halftime show is the most lit Super Bowl party I've ever been to. So after 27 days uh, at Twin Towers, I get extradited down to Orange County. And um, I still hadn't been arraigned. Uh, so for this arraignment hearing, I'm in this holding cell underneath the Orange County jailhouse. And this guy says, hey, I know you. Where do I know you from? By this time, I did have my jailhouse face on. And I'm like, listen, buddy, you don't know me from shit. You know me from the 405. You know me from traffic, motherfucker. He goes, no, 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 the laundromat. I'm like, Dave, how are you? So Suddenly, your whole entire demeanor changes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I had the, the, the most amazing um, gel manicure. They were these red nails. And you can't just pop these things off. Mm -hmm. And in jail, you can't hide your fingers and toes forever. It was not a good look. Anyway, so Dave's like, yeah. And I, I would befriend other tweakers and just say, how are you doing this? How are you actually staying? How do you wake up every morning? And do this for another day because it seems very challenging. And Dave's advice was just get as fucking high as you can and stay that way. Wise words, Dave. So anyway, small world. The insanity of my disease, JD, is I get out of jail like midnight. I'm in orange. And uh, sure enough, I found maps. Like, that shit, you know, when you're in it, it finds you. And um, so I'm back in my car, smoking my shit. Um, still doing sex work. I, I, I got raped about a month after that. And uh, I bring it up because um, it's important. It's important. Important. And I had no value of my life. I wasn't going to report it to anyone. Like, it just didn't even. And I, I would ask God, like, what more can you do? Because it had been a long 10, 15 years for me, you know? It's not going to be okay. I've learned today not to ask God what more. I Don't challenge God. Like, don't. Just don't. Because God showed me that. And I had uh, three psychiatric hospitalizations in the course of six months um, because I was absolutely psychotic, became absolutely psychotic on meth. And I would check back into the psych ward, get stabilized on meds, they discharge me. And, you know, within a day, day, the insanity of my disease, I'm smoking meth. So after the third psych ward stay. And this is the same psych ward that I went to in 2003. And uh, the social worker says, we know you're giving us a fake address. We know you're living in your car. And uh, would you like to go to treatment? And JD, that hit me like a million times. Like, You never realized never you could just I go to never, rehab. 
never thought that I could stop the insanity just by surrendering, just by going, I'm tapping out. I've watched UFC for years. Like, just tap, just tap, bitch. So, um, I came uh, back to LA, went to Truman in Culver City, and was there for 90 days. And treatment was amazing. Mm. Landed in uh, a woman's sober living uh, called Felicity House here in Culver City. I remember that house. I would see yeah. them at meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's been a woman's sober living since 1974. And what a small world. 1986, my sister lived at Felicity House for a year. Really? Yeah. Um, 30 years yeah. later, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there I was. I was like 49 years old, 48, 49 years old, found myself in sober living. All of my belongings fit into like one half of a, a closet and three drawers. Mm-hmm. You know, just fake it till you make it. Fuck you. I am not grateful. I am like, this is what my whole life has amounted to is nothing. Nothing. No, I'm not, not grateful to be sober. No. And um, I started, had to go to meetings and uh, started to make my way back into the program and connect with that original message I had heard, right? You know, that we work a program of recovery, that we're of love and service. And that they're uh, one of unity. And I'm grateful that I honored my feelings where I was at, that I was I was like honoring just and I went into the deepest, darkest depression I'd been in. Um, and it makes sense. Depression, even though it's 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 absolutely neurochemical in, in my brain, it's also a privilege. It's also a privilege. Um, when my ass was on fire, you know, living in my car, uh, I didn't have the privilege of being depressed. I didn't have the privilege of, you know, just staying under the covers. It was, it was survival. And here I finally landed someplace safe, someplace safe where I could just decompress. And nine, 12 months just in this really dark depression and started treating with a psychiatrist and a therapist and, and trying to figure out the right meds. And uh, somebody had suggested they had just started this yoga meeting in Santa Monica. And okay, I'll check it out. Um, now, mind you, I had never done yoga. The only I played was golf, which was a rich man sport. Yeah. I used to be both. Used to be both. <laughs> and so this yoga meeting started, and there were about eight or nine of us when it started. And <clears throat> these two women started the meeting, were yoga teachers, and they were in recovery. And it was just, it was, it was amazing. It, it started to, heal me in a way that 
the steps. It, it was taking my program to the next level. It was, it was connected. It was improving my conscious contact. That makes sense. My higher power, my God. And uh, so as an addict, I'm like, I need this yoga thing in my life. I, I joined the studio at the end of my block and I started showing up there every day. And after a year, um, I became a yoga teacher. At 50 years old, I became a yoga teacher. You know, I started practicing yoga every day. And I'm telling you that that took the solution of the steps, which is having had a spiritual awakening, carrying it to others. Um, I then was able to answer the existential question of who am I? And helping others gave me a sense of purpose. It still does. And practicing yoga in front of a mirror, you know, pretty naked. And, yeah. and, and everything, you know, I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. I, I so identify with my thinking. That's who I am. That's not who I am, right? I identify as a lot of things. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm transgender. I'm 54. Those are all things I identify with, but that's not who I am. That's not, you know, I, I believe I'm a spirit soul and so are you. And that everything is temporary. You know, everything is temporary. The body and the mind, hopefully my soul is eternal, but I got to sit with that and be able to meditate and for a tweaker to be able to sit still and meditate. <laughs> so a year and a half later, maybe two years later, I move out of the sober living because I was not going to move out on, you know, it, it takes, I love my comfort zone. And I started, uh, I rented a, I was renting an apartment with a sober uh, girlfriend Rent control apartment in Santa Monica, right on Third Street, right downtown Santa Monica. You know, and I'm a yoga teacher, and I'm teaching in the studio, and I'm teaching, you know, at the beach. And yeah, look at me. And every time I put something in front of my sobriety, I lose it. So <clears throat> I get on the dating apps, and. I was very mindful um, about my screening dudes. I'm like, hey, you party, right? And if they say no, then I'd go out with them. Because. Yeah, you were trying to avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. But you didn't night, but you didn't want to be like, hey, are you sober? And then it'd be like, no. Like, so you ask in yeah, a way I'm of sober. like. Because, you know, anybody that is going to party is going to brag about party and like, hell yeah, party. And it's like, all right, unmatch. <laughs> exactly. But this one <laughs> night, you know, I didn't ask. And, you know, every time I set a condition for my relapse, like, oh, if things get this bad or if I physically get this sick or if I break a bone or if I lose so-and-so, 
it's going to be okay to use. I've already relapsed. I've already given my future self permission to do that. Yeah. So I go over to the, the guy's house and uh, he's very gracious, beautiful house in Mar Vista. He worked at Google and he's like, hey, do you want to do a little cocaine? I had not done cocaine since 2003. Yes. I'm like, fuck yeah. So here's the insanity of my disease is that regardless of the bottom, you know, winding up at institutions, jail, and, and I still think I could recreationally, you know, use drugs. So I spent a night, a coke, induced uh, filled night and uh, three days later I have a meth pipe in my mouth and uh, by yourself or with that guy different guy <laughs> but but that guy the new guy was a chemist chemist that was his profile name on grinder so it has to be true and I go over to his place and he's like, hey, I, you know, I, I, I do my own DMT extractions. Like, I've never done DMT. Well, I'm going to now because I'm already not sober. Right. And he, he made his own meth. And the beauty, it was an artisan meth. I want to I go on record to say it was a, a handcrafted artisan meth infused with MDMA. Jesus Christ. Molly with my meth. Hello. He also made meth-infused vape juice. He was and quite the chemist. He was. And when I left him, he said, whatever you do, do not put this meth-infused uh, vape juice in your vape. You got you to gotta switch the coils. And the... Oh, my God. So I get kicked out of the apartment I'm renting, and yet again, here I am, fucked at my own by my own hands. Here I am. I'm homeless again, in a housing crisis, yet again. I'm high as fuck, and all I am compelled to do is feed that addiction. Yeah, once you turn the faucet on, you want to let it run until you want to turn it off again. Just they can get... Yeah. Just call me spigot. <laughs> so that that um, it took three months to go into full blown psychosis and uh, my fifth psych ward stay. Um, so I'm a big fan of psych wards, like really. It's your go to. Thank God. Thank God. And uh so I'm getting discharged out of there, and it was Christmas of 2018, and they're like, we can't find any treatment programs that have, have openings. And so I called Felicity House, and they said, you know, we come home for Christmas. So I went home, and uh, there I am, uh, 51 years old, starting this again, starting over again. And I'm the type of addict, JD, who will nuke their life to where it can't be rebuilt. You know, like it's not just enough to burn my house down with my children inside. Yeah. I'm going to fucking scorch earth this place. 
Because the uh, last time, well, so wait, you're past when we met each other then, because we met in like May of 2018. So that's when I started going to meetings around there. And then I left LA the very big, the first week, like August 3rd of 2018. And you were still around. So I guess you, you shortly after stopped the program because by, it sounds like September, Oh, and like, and the regular meetings weren't even there anymore, like because she was on a tour in September, so she wasn't even around to like mentor, like be like, hey, what's wrong with are you? What's up with you, Joe? Where are you at? Because well, she was on well, the road actually, for like four months. Actually, before she went on that road trip, and and we would still hold the Saturday night meeting uh-huh. while she was on tour, but um. Which is now daily for anybody in L.A. for Muck Recovery. <laughs> yes, Muck, follow Muck Recovery. Yeah. Yep. Um, so while I was still in that apartment, and by this time I'm smoking meth in the apartment and uh, staying up for days on end, um, I get a call from Jules. And, you know, Old me would have never answered the phone, but it was know, Jules. It was Jules, and I'm working an honest program, even though I'm high as fuck. Yeah. She goes, "Hey, what's going on? Are you okay?" I am like, "Jules, I am so not okay. I am anything but okay." She's like, "Well, let's go to a meeting." I'm like, "I'm too fucking high. I've been up for days." She's like, "Okay, okay, you know where to find me." I'm like, "Thank you. I love you." And that. That interaction with her, she, you know, she 12-stepped me, and uh, that started the, the descent into madness. Yeah. So I land back at Felicity House, and... Uh, it's funny how you have that, it's power, like, you know what I mean? Because it is, it's one of those things when, like, when someone does, like we said, how people didn't reach out before 2003, but, you know, but when someone does, you know, call, and you, especially somebody that you know is about their recovery, like she is... Like, she called me, she texted me the day before my birthday last year being like, hey, where's there a meeting in Harrisburg? Like, out of nowhere. And I called her. I'm like, hey, like, I don't live around there. Like, I found you a meeting, though. I called around because it's her. I called around. I found a meeting that was there, and it wasn't, like, you know, a Zoom meeting because she needed something real. And they had just gotten engaged, you know. It was right around then. And um, and I, she was like, you want to come with me? And I was like, I actually left Harrisburg to move in with my fiance about a year ago. We're about an hour and a half east of you. I think you drove past us because you were just in New York and now you're going to Indiana. Like you just drove by me basically. Like you're an hour and a half by. And right. um, she's like, well, what are you up to? And I was like, it's my birthday tomorrow and we're kid free for a couple of days. We're just hanging out. She's like, okay, I'm coming up. Send me your address. Like I'll come up tomorrow morning. We're going we're gonna to come up. So, and sure shit, her and Kyle and Dada showed up the next morning, and Kyle had to pick him up and carry him up our stairs because we have wooden steps with spacers. So he was so afraid of him, so he had to carry him up our stairs. And then um, we got married two months later, but Jules did our wedding ring tattoos in our living room on my birthday. Um, she gave me my Randy Marsh. I got a Randy Marsh smoking a joint. 
So Jules called you in December, and then because she she had just gotten back from the tour. I know she was trying to be back to L.A. by the winter because Dada was having a tough time with even New Orleans in November. And they were, like, trying to, like, I think they were working on their rental, their Airbnb down there, and they were trying to do something with it before they drove back or some shit. And that's why they were there a little longer. But, yeah, so she gets back. She Didn't her? They sell it. They sold it, I think. Uh, No? I thought it burnt down. Did it? I don't the know. One in, the one in Joshua Tree. No, like, oh no, I was saying no. She had a house in New Orleans. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think they yeah. they were it was an Airbnb, and I think they were selling it or getting yes. ready to sell it back then when she was doing that tour, like Correct. she had come. Yeah, this was 2018. I'm talking about again. Right. Yeah. So and it, she comes back, and then she calls, and you kind of get 12 stepped, and then you start, you know. And I I got kicked out of the apartment like three days later and um here i am again i just i i i I self-imposed crisis you know been par for the course so go to psych board land back at felicity house and uh that's my current sobriety date and i've 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 um I can't say I've been humble about it because by saying I'm humble, therefore I am not humble, right? But it's yeah. with more humility, um, uh, and I went through another teacher training program. I now have, um, I now teach yoga and meditation groups at two treatment centers, awesome. which is so fulfilling. Um, June of last year, um, I was invited to leave Felicity House. Okay, they kicked me out. <laughs> now, mind you, I had been there for out of the last five years. I, I, I was, I was, uh, that was family. And were you paying rent? Oh yeah. Like that, it was a, yeah. It was a matter of paying rent, right? It was a, not an insurance thing. It was a rental thing. Well, yeah, Felicity House was cash only. Yeah. Um,
putting AA first. I'll come to the meeting and then we can talk about your crisis. So anyway, I went to the yard that night. By this time, we were having daily, the daily meetings had just started at the yard. So Laura scoops me up. I stay with her for two months. Um, and August 1st of last year, I found my current roommate, not on Craigslist, but, um, you know, he's in the program and I have a beautiful home. <clears throat> um, and my recovery goes first. Here's what I believe, you know, that it's not going to be okay. Might be semantics, but I know if I put my recovery first, I'm going to be okay, regardless of what it's going to be. Yeah. Right? We're all going to get sick. We're all going to get old. We're all going to die. But I'm going to be okay regardless. Yep. And, and today I carry that message of hope. It, um, I host a daily 9 a.m. Pacific time Zoom meeting called Boundaries and Butt Cheeks uh, for non-binary trans and women. And uh, it's a daily started in uh, uh, during, during pandemic. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stay that way. And so every morning at 9 a.m. I'm in a seat, you know. That's awesome. And um, we get to carry this message and help others. And, you know, that that has become who I am, right? I've been able to finally answer that, uh, that question of existential dread. Who am I? You know, I'm more than my cool tattoos. I'm more than, just because I drove a Honda, that did not make me Japanese. <laughs> exactly. Who I am is love and kindness and compassion and and <clears throat> these these qualities that 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 transcend the superficial you know that we're all you know transforming our lives and and you know in that sense we're all trans and yeah. there's nothing nothing more beautiful than that yeah that's awesome i'm so glad you're doing better now like you know not doing better but you're just like accepting things almost like easier like you know like it is what it is like i'll be okay i'll figure it out you know shit's gonna get bad and shit could be good i'll figure it out i have support you know you know you have support this time you know what i mean As i knew i had it then <laughs> but this time i'm using it no but yeah. no but no but you didn't you didn't though because you were also still jeff the first time and you oh, were yeah. still feeling like you were somebody else and not being completely who you are. Now you can be completely who you are with who you want to be around and know that you can go to them in your worst, even after a relapse like you did, and be like, okay, cool, they're still taking me back. They're What's still they're not turning they're not turning their back on me. Okay, cool. This, you know, uh, that's awesome. So I'm glad you have you know, I'm glad you actually sat we you sat down and you know, we got to talk for a while and catch up and all that. Like it's always nice. I can't it's I need so can't, good. I can't wait to come out to LA again and visit. My wife's sister lives in Ventura. So nice. I'm definitely making a trip out there soon. Hopefully in the winter time when in the winter MS isn't as bad on your body because it's colder. Yeah. So um yeah, we're looking forward to that. You know. And Good. yeah. 
But yeah, and if you're ever in the mountains in PA, come on down. We're, we're, we're like right by the Poconos. <laughs> I've been to the Poconos. Oh, uh, yeah, we're about 40 minutes west of the Poconos. They're and like Scranton there. and everything. And But I know she's coming out here sometime. Whenever She was on the road and then she came back and then she hasn't been able to get back on the road ever since she went back. So, but I know she's stopping out here because we have some walls for her to do inside. Nice. So we're saving some of the walls for her. <laughs> but thanks again. And I will let you know when it's up, uh, when I get it edited and get it put up, probably be the next couple of days, when it'll be at least on Patreon where you'll be able to see the link when I send it to you. So it's awesome catching up and have a good day and I'll talk Happy. to you. All right. Take see care, you. Jimmy. Bye. Bye.